For those of you taking notes, I have changed the sermon title today. We're still covering uh, the same passage, uh, but I, as I studied it, I thought this title would fit more appropriately uh, for what we'll be talking about today. And so instead of advancing the gospel, um, and, and probably changing the title because it spoke to me, um, and I trust it'll speak to you, uh, the title is finding joy in adversity. Um, this is a great passage of scripture. It's a great book, and I trust it is ministering to you as it has been ministering to me. About 10 days ago, our dryer went on the fritz. That's a nice way for saying it broke. It just, it just wouldn't work. Um, the drum was spinning, but it wasn't getting hot. So the clothes didn't dry. And uh, many of you know I'm not the most uh, mechanical, hands-on, but um, I'm thankful for YouTube. Um, that's where I go. I go to YouTube. And I learned uh, the heating element was probably the culprit. And so I, I very cautiously looked and tried to find the model number, part number, and all that, and ordered it online. Took a few days to get that in. And... Um, in the meantime, I had taken the whole dryer apart. I had the back off, I had the front off, I had the top up, I had the drum out, the belt off, and I was just hoping it'll come back together. <laughs> and um, sure enough, I got the part, I was able to get it in, just watching my YouTube video, walking me through everything, and uh, started it up, and it spun, and it got hot, there was a little bit of a, an odor, a smell, so I wasn't sure what that was. And then I saw my wife disappear. I thought, where is she going? And she comes back in with this red bottle called a fire extinguisher. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your vote of confidence, honey. <laughs> is our homeowners paid up? <laughs> um, you don't always find joy in adversity, do you? It's not always easy to find joy when things aren't going well. But here we see in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us three insights for finding joy in adversity. And I don't know what you're going through in your life. Maybe you're going through a very difficult time. I know our farmers are. It's been a very difficult year. Adversity, a year of adversity, challenge. Uh, maybe some of you, it's health issues or financial issues, but it's hard to find joy in adversity, but it's not impossible. And here the Apostle Paul gives us three insights to finding joy in going through adversity. The one thing I did learn in the process of fixing the dryer is I do not want to be a dryer repairman. And so, but I learned with a little patience and perseverance joy does follow. I like how Mark Dever said it. He said, today is what the Lord has prepared for you. Think about that. Today is what the Lord has prepared for you and for me. We need to think about the context in which we are living to share the gospel. 
What is the context that Paul was attempting to share the gospel? Many people were holding on to ideas and philosophies and things that they believed would bring them happiness and fulfillment. Let's read down through the passage. We're going to read down through beginning in chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. What an attitude. What was the context that Paul was bringing the gospel? He's in a Roman prison. Rome has about a million people. It has slaves, free individuals, nobles, political and military. It was very strong because Rome was the center, the hub of the Roman Empire. It was also a city filled with decadence and immorality. Religion was polytheistic. They worshipped many different gods and demigods. Due to the influence of Greek mythology, they practiced emperor worship. So Paul was not popular in Rome because he didn't practice emperor worship. The Jews and Christians were not popular in Rome because they did not practice emperor worship. They were monotheistic, one God. And there was a time where they were expelled. The Jews were even expelled from Rome by Claudius. had expelled them because of their monotheistic view. The polytheism, Rome was filled with temples and shrines for people to worship in, and most forms of worship were tolerated. The Romans didn't care who you worshipped as long as you worshipped the emperor and you didn't start trouble with other religions. So Christianity had spread in Rome. And after Claudius, there was another emperor that came along, Emperor Nero. Nero harbored a bitter hatred toward Christians and would capture Christians and set them on fire to light up his gardens at night. This is the context in which Paul comes to bring the gospel to Rome. The church in Philippi was interested in Paul's imprisonment in Rome because Paul had planted the church in Philippi about five years earlier. And it was his first church plant in Europe. So Paul begins, after his prayer, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So how do we find joy in adversity? How did Paul find joy in his adversity? He's in prison. 
By the way, when you went to a Roman prison, historians tell us that the Romans would beat you before they put you in prison. They would flog you, you'd be bloody, your clothes would be bloody, and you'd be chained in prison. And Paul says, I want you to know that the flogging, the beating, the chains, the imprisonment, everything I'm going through has a divine purpose. And so in that divine purpose, Paul found joy. So the first thing we see here is Paul finding joy in adversity through the advancement of the gospel. He found joy in that. You see, God uses adversity to advance the gospel. Let's look at two aspects of this adversity. Adversity is intentional and providential. It is intentional. It's not accidental. Adversity is very intentional when God brings it into our lives. He uses adversity to humble us and keep us in a position of weakness. A position where I don't have self-sufficiency. We see this in Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 when he had a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan, he said, to buffet him. And he said that messenger of Satan that buffeted him kept him in a position of weakness. And yet, in that weakness, he was made strong. He prayed three times to God to take away that adversity, that thorn, and God did not take it away. Instead, God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says he will boast about his weaknesses so that Christ's power will rest on him. He says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. I want you to think about your own life. What are things that you are going through in your life that God is bringing adversity in your life and you are viewing it as punishment rather than an opportunity for advancement for the gospel? You see, our perspective can get out of whack and we miss the opportunities to advance the gospel because we're woe is me, what's God doing, da, da, da. And we go through this whole litany of things that God is trying to punish me. And Paul never saw it as a punishment. He saw it as a promotion, a new platform to share the gospel. So it was very intentional. I remember back in our lives almost 20 years ago, 20 years ago next month, our youngest son Brandon was born. And some of you heard the story. He was a preemie. He was born five weeks early. He had six IVs in him. He was sedated. They didn't want him to move because he would use oxygen. He was on a ventilator. His lungs were underdeveloped. He was on a ventilator for 10 days. Uh, he had to have a blood transfusion. We had to sign a document saying, yes, he can have a blood transfusion in case the blood is not good. And for 19 days... He was in neonatal intensive care, and we went to the hospital every day, every day. Was God punishing us, the Burkett family? Not at all. What was he trying to do? Use adversity to advance the gospel. Do I always look at it that way? No, I don't. And I'm guessing you don't either. But here's the opportunity that God gave us. In going to the hospital... We came up with the idea, I think the Lord impressed this upon us. They said it's good for the babies to hear their parents' voices. And so we wanted Brandon to hear our voice. We would go in and talk with him. We would pray over him. 
Now think about that. We're praying over our son. There's nurses and doctors by listening. It's a way to advance the gospel. We then took our, our, uh, some of our kids' Bible story books and we read Bible stories on cassette tape. And we took those tapes in and they would play those tapes through the night. And there were times we'd go back into the hospital and the nurse say, I hope you don't mind, I heard the Easter story last night. <laughs> I hope you don't mind, we heard the story of creation yesterday. I said, no, we don't mind. They were listening as well. Now, that wasn't our plan. That was very intentional on God's part that he used the Burkett family to get the gospel toward medical people in the hospital. I wish I would look at it that way all the time, but I don't. But what does God want to use in your life? Who, who has God given you a platform for to reach with the God, to advance the gospel? The adversity in your life is not to punish you it's to advance the gospel. It's intentional. We then, at Christmas time, or I, we went back to the hospital at Christmas time, and we had little uh, candy canes with the candy cane story on a card, and we handed it out to all the medical people who ministered to Brandon. Because why? We already had a bridge with them. And so there are many opportunities that we have to share the gospel if we will take advantage of it and not allow the adversity to be the focus of our lives. The second aspect is it is providential. It is providential. Let me remind us, because that's a big word and it's a word that we don't use very often. J.I. Packer, in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, says this about providence. He said, divine providence is the governance of God by which he with wisdom and love cares for and directs all things in the universe. Everything he directs in the universe. And it's also this. It's the doctrine of divine providence that asserts that God is in complete control of all things. He is sovereign over the universe. He's the ruler. Do we believe that? Even when it comes to adversity and pain in our lives, God is the one who is overseeing it all. He's over the physical world. He's over the affairs of nations. He's over human destiny, human successes and failures. He's over the protection of his people as well. That's the sovereign God. This doctrine is very important. Do you know why? Because here's what our world believes. That the universe is governed by chance or fate. And it's not. It's the divine providence of God in our lives. Through divine providence, God accomplishes his will. To ensure that his purposes are fulfilled, he governs the affairs of men and women and children in all aspects. We just saw a storm, didn't we, Dorian? God's in control of every storm as well. The laws of nature are nothing more than God's work in the universe. The laws of nature have no inherent power 
they are controlled by the ruler of the universe. The principles that God set in place to govern how his universe would work. They are only laws because God has decreed them. This reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Went into Egypt. Became a prisoner in Egypt. Adversity. But look what he says. As for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. That's what he says you meant. That was your, that was your purpose. But God, in his providence, intentionally meant it for good. His adversity was meant for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So man could have one purpose of evil. And in that very same situation, God means it for good. Because he is sovereign. Man's goal was to destroy Joseph's life. To get rid of him. But God had different intentions. And God's intentions were fulfilled Why? Because Joseph stayed committed to God in the face of adversity. God uses adversity for his plan and his purpose. And he used Paul's adversity to open doors of ministry for the gospel. So I want you to think deeply about your own life, your own situation, your own circumstance, and what is it that God wants to use in your life, the adversity you're going through, to share the gospel. Maybe there's another farmer who's gone bankrupt. Have you gotten in touch with that farmer? Have you had an opportunity to point them to God? Advance the gospel? Maybe there's somebody else in your neighborhood that has lost a loved one. They're not in church. Are you going to miss that opportunity? Or will you go over to that neighbor and say, let's go out for a cup of coffee and let's sit down and talk over that cup of coffee and let me share with you how I get through tough times. Let me share with you how I get through grief and sorrow. And through adversity, you can advance the gospel. How did Paul end up in prison? He was falsely accused. He was arrested and falsely accused. He was arrested by Roman officials in Jerusalem. He was drugged out of the temple He was eventually taken to Caesarea, and he was kept in a prison in Caesarea for two years. I've been to Caesarea. I've been to the area that Paul was incarcerated. It's right along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's where Herod had a palace. He spent two years there. He pleaded his case before Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. And even in his testimony before King Agrippa, he says... You are trying to persuade me to be a Christian. That's what Paul was trying to do. They found no reason to charge Paul, and Paul makes an appeal to Caesar because he wanted to go to Rome because that's where he knew God wanted him. On his way to Rome, 
He suffered shipwreck, but he and his entire crew survive. He goes to Rome, and he's placed in this prison in Rome, and he's under house arrest in a rented facility. And now he's sharing the gospel in this Roman prison. The use is the word advance here to advance the gospel. It's the idea of blazing a trail before an army. It's someone who goes before the army and it cuts away all the trees and all the underbrush and makes a clear path, a clear road in a place that there wasn't one. And that's what God was doing with Paul. He was blazing a trail in a new place with a new platform to share the gospel with people who desperately needed to hear it. To advance the gospel. Paul met Roman officials and soldiers, people he never would have met without his arrest and appeal. And notice what it says in verse 13. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Each soldier was chained to Paul. Every six hours, they would change. And now think about this. They can't leave. (laughs) He starts sharing the gospel. They can't leave. They're chained to him. It's a short chain. I don't know how that worked for bathroom breaks. Because he was chained 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to a different soldier every six hours. And he shared the gospel with every one of those soldiers. He was in chains for Christ. He had not broken any law. He was not a criminal. He was in prison to advance the gospel. Look what F.B. Meyer says. If there be therefore perpetual failure in your life, it cannot arise from any weakness or impotence in the mighty God but from some failure on your part. That failure may probably be discovered in one of three hiding places. Imperfect surrender, deficient faith, or neglected communion. But when the intention of the soul is right with God, without doubt, he will save. I find that very convicting very convicting in other words maybe the reason people aren't coming to the Lord it's not the Lord's fault it's our fault that we are not everything God wants us to be Paul recognized that God had a divine purpose in his arrest and imprisonment and he saw it as a divine appointment And Paul recognizes that even in Romans. He says, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. We have been set apart for the gospel. He says, when he who had set me apart before I was born, before he was born, he was set apart for the gospel. Who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles I did not consult immediately with anyone. And notice in verse 16 of chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul says, 
The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Put here. I am set apart by God's divine providence that is intentional, that God has set me apart to share the gospel. So Paul found joy in advancing the gospel. Secondly, Paul found joy in adversity through the boldness of fellow believers. The boldness of fellow believers. Notice he says in 13, as a result of his testimony, sharing the gospel, it has become clear, it is evident throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. That's what Paul was willing to do. Was Paul successful? Well, flip over to chapter 4 of Philippians. Look what it says in verse 22. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. He had led many people to Christ in Caesar's household in prison. He says, greet them as saints. He was successful. But his boldness emboldened his fellow believers to share the gospel. There's two things when we do this sharing the gospel, though. The consequence and the conflict in advancing the gospel. First, we see the consequence. In verse 13, Paul's message was heard and the believers were strengthened. That's a wonderful consequence. Paul's testimony and adversity was loud and clear. He was in chains, not because he was a criminal and had broken the law. It says he was in chains for Christ. That's what it says at the end of verse 13. He was in chains for Christ. He was an ambassador for Christ. If you go back to the book of Ephesians, just one book earlier, in chapter 6, verse 20, Paul says, For which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should, as he's talking about the gospel. So he viewed himself as an ambassador in chains. That's a great viewpoint even in prison. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. And what did this do to the church in Rome? It strengthened it. It was strengthened. The influence of the gospel was felt in Caesar's household. The environment in the prison would change. Wherever we are as believers, the environment should change for the better because we're seeking to advance the gospel. The believers in Philippi were strengthened. They had a fresh boldness in proclaiming the gospel. Their fear was defeated. Their inhibitions were overcome. In 
In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. They had renewed confidence in the gospel. They were not concerned about being put in prison, nor were they concerned about being put to death. That's a wonderful place to be. Do you know someone that has Awana-aged children who are not in church? Would you consider talking to them about bringing their kids to Awana so they can hear the gospel? Maybe you know someone who has a wayward child, and you could get with them to encourage them, pray with them about their child. Adversity can come, but God is faithful. Here's what it says in Hebrews. People suffered. There was mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. He's talking about believers. So there's adversity. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Anybody want to sign up? This is what God's calling us to. But we find joy in adversity because the gospel advances. Of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And then I think about a broken dryer. Wow. Not a big deal, is it? May God give us boldness in sharing the gospel. How do we get that boldness? Here's what it says in Acts 4.31. After they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that gave them the boldness to share the gospel. They were beaten, and it says they walked out of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. Well, let's look at the third insight that Paul gives us for finding joy in adversity. Finding joy in adversity through the proclamation of Christ. Paul was certainly advancing the gospel one-on-one with the, prison, or the guards, but here now he's referring more to the proclamation and the preaching of the word of God And Paul found great joy in that. Look in verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, Paul says, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice in prison because the gospel was going forth. Remember I mentioned the consequence a while ago? There's consequence and there's conflict. Well, here's the conflict part. Some were preaching Christ with the wrong motives. Envy, jealous of Paul's ministry, attempting to discredit him and afflict him with more pain. Envy is always a sin to avoid. Rivalry, strife, contention, wrangling. Sometimes there's envy and rivalry in the church where people vie for attention or power or authority. And he addresses that even here. He says in verse 17, the former, those full of envy and rivalry, preach Christ out of selfish ambition for the wrong reason, the wrong motive. They were trying to discredit Paul. They preached to elevate themselves at Paul's expense. They thought maybe Rome will get rid of this guy. An attempt to show maybe he was no longer needed. And notice what he says. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Affliction. To crush Paul. To press him. To squeeze him. It actually even carries the idea of a woman in child giving birth and the pain that a woman goes through. That's the kind of pain that Paul was feeling. But he says others preach Christ out of love and goodwill. They have a gracious purpose. They long for people to be blessed with the gospel. It brings joy to the transmitter as well as the receiver. And that's what God wants to do. I'm reminded of the daughter who complained to her father about how hard things were for her. She said, as soon as I solve one problem, another one comes up. I'm tired of struggling. Her father, a chef, took her to the kitchen where he filled three pots with water and he placed each of them on a high fire. Soon the pots came to a boil. In one pot, he placed carrots. In the second one, eggs. In the last one, ground coffee beans. He let them sit and boil without saying a word. The daughter impatiently waited, wondering what he was doing, and after a while, he went over and he turned off the burners. He fished out the carrots and he placed them in a bowl. He pulled the eggs out and placed them in a bowl, and he poured the coffee into a bowl. Turning to her, he asked, Darling, what do you see? Carrots, eggs, and coffee, she replied. He brought her closer and asked her to feel the carrots. She did and noted that they were soft. He asked her then to take an egg and break it, and after pulling off the shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. And finally, he asked her to sip the coffee. She smiled as she tasted its rich flavor. She asked, what does it mean, Father? He explained that each one of them had faced the same 
adversity, boiling water, but each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong, hard and unrelenting, but after being subjected to the boiling water, it softened and became weak. The egg was fragile. Its thin outer shell had protected its liquid interior, but after sitting through the boiling water, its inside became hard. The ground coffee beans were unique, however. By being in the boiling water, they changed the water. He asked his daughter, when adversity knocks on your door, which are you? I close with this quote by Josh McDowell, reminding us of the power of the gospel. Wherever Jesus has been proclaimed, we see lives change for the good. Nations change for the better. Thieves become honest. Alcoholics become sober. Hateful individuals become channels of love. And unjust persons embrace justice. That's the power of the gospel. That's what God has called us to do, to be ambassadors for Christ, to advance the gospel, and even find joy in the adversity that we find ourselves in at time because God is working a divine providence in our life to promote the gospel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And just before I pray, let me ask you, Are you finding joy in your adversity? It sounds like a paradox, and in a sense it is. But we have to look beyond our circumstance to say, God, how are you wanting to use this circumstance? And I believe the circumstance does two things. It changes me, and it changes how I see what I'm looking at. What does God want to do in my life? Because it's so easy to focus only on the adversity and miss what God wants to do in our lives. And that would be a tragedy. Paul's life was changed. His heart was soft. He was humbled. He was able to be used by the Lord. Those of us who are believers, God wants to use intentionally and providentially to advance the gospel. Think about strategic ways that you will advance the gospel in your life, in your family, through this church, through your outreach, through the contacts that you have the circle of influence that God has placed you. Those of you that may be here today, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. The adversity in your life is to bring you to the foot of the cross, to help you realize you are weak and unable to live out the reality of the gospel until you embrace it, till you understand the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and shed his blood.
to pay for your sin. And three days later, he rose from the dead and is at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. That is the gospel. He died for our sins, the Bible says, according to the scriptures. And he rose from the dead according to the scriptures that we might have hope. If you're here this morning and you don't have hope in Jesus Christ, you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross, that is the only way you can be reconciled to a holy God. It's not your good works. It's not my good works. It's the work of Jesus on the cross. Because if my work could do it, Jesus wasted his time dying on the cross. But he didn't because I can't. And neither can you. If we can help you, if we can pray with you after the service, if you have questions, we would love to pray with you. So please see myself or someone else that can sit down and show with you how you can have a personal relationship with God. hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.